Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. And welcome to this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. I'm your host, Rebecca Cressman. And today we're going to be talking about an issue that affects every one of us, uh, all of our families, our neighborhood, our community, the state of Utah. And it's an issue that Intermountain Healthcare has embraced to help us solve. And we're talking about the overuse of opioids. And there have been campaigns. In fact, it's been interesting to see people's reactions to opioid education campaigns about the, the risk of overdose, as many people have felt protective of their use of pain pills. So I'm just going to bring that up right off the top as I welcome Lisa Nichols. Lisa Nichols. Lisa, thank you for being here in studio, by the way. Thank you. Um, Your title is Community Benefit Behavioral Health Director for Intermountain Healthcare. And your goal is to help educate the community, right, and work together with Intermountain Healthcare. Right. I work on our partnerships in the community to address prescription opioid misuse and other behavioral health concerns. So I opened up the conversation at first saying it's interesting to see this dialogue because and I think that's part of us gaining a greater understanding of an issue is when you do hear information, people try to digest that, apply it to their own life and ask the big question is, am I overusing opioids? And and are we, Mm -hmm. Lisa? Yeah. So I think, you know, for for a lot of reasons that seemed good at the time, in the 1990s, we really started prescribing and using more prescription opioids. And we're learning now that that's problematic. And uh, in Utah, there are 7,000 prescription opioids filled every day. There are certainly very, very good uses for prescription opioids. Um, but we're learning alternatives, uh, even over-the-counter medications, uh, lifestyle changes, yoga, exercise, mindfulness. All of those things are actually can be more effective depending on the health concern. And and that's interesting. In fact, yeah. just as you were describing that, 7,000 mm-hmm. opioids prescribed every day. In Utah. In Utah. Yeah. And you said, you know, so this is the evolution of what we are learning right now on what's mm-hmm. the best way to manage pain. And you mentioned the opioids were uh, something that seemed like a wonderful solution mm-hmm. when they were first rolled out. If we mm-hmm. step back even over 100 years, we can look back and say, you know, we used to think, Heroin or morphine or opia mm-hmm. was were all great pain, and then we learned that it had its also damaging effects, and then we course corrected. Right. So, are we in the middle of a course correction with our use of opioids? Yeah, I think we really are. Um, I think um, there wasn't an understanding of how poten- potentially addictive these medications are. So, we know now that really within seven days, an individual can start to build tolerance to an opioid um, and and then potentially dependence. So tolerance meaning they need more to get the same effect. So someone who maybe has just like an injury um, and gets seven days worth of medications, they're at risk. And and so there is a difference, and, and I appreciate that, uh, the term. Let's, let's talk about that. Tolerance, dependence, mm-hmm. And, and addiction. addiction. Okay. Yeah, they are really three very different things, and sometimes people don't understand that. Mm-hmm. So tolerance is really where um, your body has started to adjust and needs higher levels of the medication 
for the same effect. And that, does that happen with every medication that our bodies will respond by building a tolerance or are there some medications out there that bodies are, you know, do not uh, achieve a tolerance level? Well, it's uh, for prescription opioids. Yes, okay. it's, it's generally the case. Um, you know, people are different. And so okay. they may, you know, tolerance may take different dosage amounts, different amounts of time. But All right. In general, that's... So this isn't something we need to understand as we are entering maybe an upcoming surgery mm-hmm. or we've had some type of a, an emergency which requires us to have opioid use is that within about seven days, our bodies may gain a tolerance. Right. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And we really recommend, um, we have a speak out, opt out, throw out campaign. Hmm. So the speak out part of that is to have a conversation with your medical provider to make sure that you say to him or her, you know, am, am I at risk? Are these medications necessary? Is there a different dose? Is there an alternative? How will I be tapered off? So um, really, you know, simultaneously, medical providers are starting to learn about the dangers of prescription opioids, but it really takes the patient and the medical provider together um, to have a conversation about what is best for the patient. Which is new, because in particular, most of the time, a piece of paper is handed to you at the very end of the appointment. You go to the pharmacist, they fill it out, and it might be for 21 days. Right. And you really haven't talked about that. So speak out first. Yes. Ask those specific questions Mm -hmm. about how your body may or may not react. To those right. opioids. Okay. Right. Speak out, then opt out when you can. Choose an alternative or the counter medications, uh, something else, uh, like yoga, exercise. Um, and then throw out, and we don't really mean like throw in the garbage, but if you do get 21 days worth of medication and you really only need three, we want those medications to be safely disposed of. Um, so they're not there for a child to get or to be used later for by someone. So if we are throwing this out, we are protecting a number of people. Number one, we're pre- protecting ourselves from the temptation of overusing these sure. when we no longer need them. Mm-hmm. We're protecting Correct. children who have no idea. And then there are those in our lives who have already uh, developed an addiction. And right. if they are available, I guess what I'm hearing you say is that we are feeding Right. You, you don't want to make mm-hmm. that temptation available. Sure. So it's, we're really all safer if medications are safely disposed of. No, you say um, don't really throw it out. And I've heard yeah. don't flush it either, that it's not good for our water system. Right. What is the best way for us to throw out extra opioids? Yeah. So there are um, disposal drop boxes that are available across the community. Um, Intermountain Healthcare has them in their pharmacies. Uh, they're also in a lot of law enforcement agencies. So there's a website, useonlyasdirected.org, where you can go and you you can put in your zip code and you can learn the Dropbox that's um, closest to you. And then those uh, medications are incinerated. So, so use only as directed dot org dot org. Search that. You could yeah. put your zip code in and find mm-hmm. one that is near you. Right. And I'd almost challenge each of us uh, to take a look at not only the medicine cabinet. Uh, you know, that's not just a thing of the 60s, is it? But the whole idea <laughs> that, you know, you've, you've uh, taken one part of your home and that's mm-hmm. been the the first aid kit. And that's mm-hmm. where you can go through often and see bottles that have been there for not just months, right. but for years. We need to go through that, grab them, and then go to useasdirected.org and safely dispose of them. Yeah. And these medications, are you, know, you can dispose of any medication. So you may have a lot of leftover medications in your home, and it's, you know, it's best to get rid of them. Now, I, I brought up at the beginning, and I want to go back to this for just a minute, and ask you, too, about some of the alternative ways to manage pain. Mm-hmm. Um, one, some of the conversation I've been hearing is that not everyone is dealing with uh, pain 
that is um, caused by something immediate or urgent. In other words, my husband had shoulder surgery Mm -hmm. or I have, you know, I fell down and broke my arm. And so I've, I've been temporarily prescribed a pain medication to help me during that time when the pain level is an eight, nine, or 10 on the chart, that there are individuals who have chronic pain Mm -hmm. and they feel um, vulnerable to the campaign about opioid abuse. Talk to me a little bit as a behavioral. And for those who just joined us, this is Lisa Nichols. Lisa Nichols, she is a community benefit behavioral health director with Intermountain Healthcare. Go ahead. Yeah, so pain medications are certainly um, appropriate in some circumstances, um, particularly with chronic pain that's related to cancer. We know that it's very appropriate in those cases. Uh, In other cases where we've used it uh, with maybe low back pain, we're finding that it might not be as effective as as we think it is and may actually increase sensitivity to pain. So you you start to get more pain over time. So it's really, again, a conversation to have with your medical provider based on your particular circumstances, um, your diagnosis, to figure out what's best for you. But ask that question. Mm -hmm. Start again with what Lisa was saying. The first step Mm -hmm. is to speak out Mm -hmm. and ask the question because your ultimate goal is to live as comfortably and as pain-free as possible and the opioid may or may not be the the right prescription for you. Yeah, I think that's true. But it's also, um, I think, you know, as as Americans, we've uh, sort of think we have to be comfortable and pain-free all of the time. And the truth is that life has some discomfort in it. And, you know, pain is actually a little bit protective. So, you know, post-surgery, you you might have a little bit of pain. In other words, that that helps prevent us from aggravating an injury. Okay. Right. It's the body's way of saying caution- be careful. You got it. I want to go back to what you indicated um, as alternatives to mm-hmm. opioid use mm-hmm. as, as the medical research um, rolls out and tells us, okay, we've got too many people using opioids mm-hmm. and they're gaining dependence and addiction. What else can we do? Yeah. What, again, are, yeah. let's talk in detail about some of the options that can help mm-hmm. us manage our pain. Yeah. Well, there are over-the-counter medications. Um, is tramadol? I was trying to think of that one. I can't remember. It's tramadol like, is a mm-hmm. prescription. Okay. Opioid, That's, I believe. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, you know, acetaminophen and um, ibuprofen, uh, ibuprofen okay. those sorts of things. So there actually is some emerging evidence that in, in some cases, those medications will address pain as well as or better actually, than a prescription opioid. So the good old Tylenol Mm -hmm. and Advil may be just as effective or better. Right, right. And then there are things, um, massage, exercise, stretching, yoga, um, acupressure. So we have at Intermountain Healthcare uh, also living well with chronic conditions classes and um, related to chronic pain. And it's a six-week course that helps people really sort of try to understand their pain and come up with some self-management goals for, you know, what could I do in my life to to feel better? Well, and I love the idea, Uh too, that as a class, you have an opportunity to rub shoulders with others Uh who are dealing with chronic pain because that's part of the challenge, the emotional, mental challenge of dealing with with pain every day is feeling isolated and feeling like, I I'm, I may be the only one who's feeling like every day this inhibits my life. So right. you're stepping into a circle of support. Yeah. And, and that class discusses the options. You said massage is one of sure. the options. You know, I remember yeah. in labor, they <laughs> mm-hmm. indicated that was a great way for us to send positive signals 
to our body and help right, the body relax. Right, right. Even, you know, like mindfulness. Um, Tell me a little and, bit more about mindfulness. Well, you know, sometimes pain is caused, you know, by, you know, we have a lot of stress in our lives. We clench our muscles and, um, you know, do, uh, you know, repetitive things with our bodies, uh, depending on our, you know, profession. Sure. So just sort of being able to calm down, um, breathe easily, let your muscles relax. Um, Isn't it interesting we've gotten to the point as a society Mm -hmm. that we have so much built in in a day, so much work that keeps us stressed that we have to actually remind ourselves to Mm -hmm. pull back Mm -hmm. and to to give ourselves permission to relax our brain. And then there is a result. Not only mentally do we feel more clear from the Mm -hmm. mindfulness activities, but it transmits all the way through our bodies. Right. Mm-hmm. And we okay. can um, think differently also about the circumstances in our lives. So we also know that cognitive behavioral therapy um, can really address pain in so- for some individuals. I didn't know that. Uh, so yeah. in other words, uh, uh, developing healthier thinking patterns mm-hmm. and response patterns to the mm-hmm. pain that's triggered to us Correct. each day. Right. Okay. Yeah. So mindfulness, cognitive behavioral therapy, mm-hmm. reach out to specialists there. Mm-hmm. You mentioned yoga. Yeah. So yoga, uh, you know, yoga is similar to stretching, uh, but it's kind of stretching and mindfulness combined, right? Mm -hmm. So you're learning to breathe, um, you're moving your muscles in different ways, you're lengthening them, you're strengthening them. um, I remember when the medical research came out just about, oh, I want to say 10 or 15 years ago, Mm -hmm. and it was an aha moment when they had studied acupuncture uh-huh. and they realized, hey, this isn't it just works. a thing. It really does work. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's that wonderful evolution of, of ongoing research, mm-hmm. learning more about what's best for ourselves. So you mentioned acu- acupressure. That's different uh, than acupuncture. And acupuncture. Okay. Yes. I'm, yes. I'm sorry. I meant acupuncture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And both of those are, are uh-huh. going kind of right to the nerves, mm-hmm. right underneath our skin, yeah. and then trying to help relieve the messages that the body Right. Is sending. Right. So all of that is fascinating. Tell yeah. me again the name of the classes that you mentioned. Intermountain Living Health- well with chronic conditions. And you could go to the Intermountain Healthcare website. Um, and and could, look yeah. for the classes mm-hmm. near you yeah. as yeah. well as speak out. It's interesting because if you do go to a family practice physician, uh-huh. um, typically they're not suggesting a lot of these other behavioral modes mm-hmm. to relieving pain. Now, I know that you as a community benefit behavioral health director, you're working both with the the community and your partners, but with physicians as well. So are you starting to see um, an education campaign where physicians are starting to understand that they need to be recommending these type of lifestyles? Yeah, I think Um, so. I mean, this is... um the prescription opioid ep- epidemic is is nationwide. It's in the state of Utah, and I think there's a lot of growing awareness amongst everyone, including um, medical providers. And we, as part of our efforts, also train our medical providers. So over the past two years, we've trained 2,500 medical providers in the dangers of prescription opioids and in some of the alternatives that they that can be offered. So what so, are the, some of the practical things that you're hoping physicians will do knowing this? Okay, uh-huh. we can go back 20 years later and realize yeah. that the opioids can be more dangerous than we yeah. thought. So we as physicians need to do what? Well, as much as we hope that patients will initiate a conversation with their physicians, we hope that physicians will initiate a conversation with their patients around the dangers of prescription opioids. Um, You know, we know sort of post-surgery that in a lot of cases, 
three to five days of tablets is is sufficient. Um, So having that conversation about the number that I'm going to fill for you, you can absolutely call me back if you need more. But, you know, let's let's start low because these medications can be dangerous. And interestingly enough, uh, and I'll use my husband as a case, um, he did go in for back surgery. Yeah. And that's a pretty intensive surgery. Mm -hmm. But he knew that there was some concern about the opioids. And he thought, okay, how do I balance that? Because yeah. they said, if you're in too much pain and you don't take any pain relief, that can inhibit your healing. And and, and so the, the doctor's office said there is a balance in that. Mm-hmm. But he went home with three or four different prescriptions that could be used in tandem. And I believe in his case, he used uh, half about half of what was prescribed on the daily basis, and then over time, within about 10 to 12 days, he was done. Right. And and it was a surprise. Uh, the doctor's office was surprised that he so quickly. But you uh-huh. talked about individual recovery. Every body is different. So mm-hmm. you want to be aware of what your body really needs and not give it more right. than it right. should. Yeah. Being, and again, just you know, working with your medical provider to determine what's best for you. Now, when we opened up the interview, and for those who have joined us, this is Lisa Nichols. She is with Intermountain Healthcare, uh, working on Intermountain's efforts to decrease the misuse of prescription opioids. In the beginning of our interview, I asked us to, uh, to discuss the difference between tolerance, <clears throat> dependence, and addiction. So mm-hmm. with tolerance, you indicated that that is the body adjusting to the dose and then in order to get the same relief, requiring more medication. Is mm-hmm. that the way? Or go ahead and describe yeah, it maybe no, more that's, accurately. That's absolutely what uh, tolerance is. And and then dependence is where really um, you, you start to have a need for the medication. Uh, and, de- and tolerance and dependence don't necessarily lead to addiction. But addiction is really that next step in which you're no longer functioning. Um, you need the, the medicate. You need it. Uh, it's interfering with your life, your ability maybe to keep a job, to maintain your relationships. Maybe you're doing um, some unadvisable things to get In your order medication. to obtain the medication, sure. Yeah. And, and so when you recognize those symptoms, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm not functioning mm-hmm. in my employment, I'm not functioning well in my relationships, and often that takes an awful lot of introspection. And usually the people around us mm-hmm. can are hesitant to give us that truth. Yeah. But if we were to ask somebody who, we care, who, who lives with us and cares with us, does it appear to you that I have a dependence? That big question, I think, might be answered. <laughs> yes. Right? Yeah, I think. people close yeah. to us. I don't right. know. And I think, you know, it's... Um, it's important for all of us to be aware of this and conversant about it. Um, yeah, I, I don't know very many people who haven't been touched by this in some way or another. And so if, if we can become articulate in talking about this and reducing the stigma, it really will help people be able to talk about their concerns and seek help. In other words, it is our body's response to the medication and so being open and understanding that our body has the ca- capability of depending, of becoming dependent and addictive yeah. on a substance. And yeah. so be open about that. Talked about what that with your physicians and your family members. Yeah, and well, people. opioid use disorders and addiction, um, they are a medical illness, like other medical illnesses, like diabetes, for example. And so, you know, people are not ashamed of saying... I have diabetes. I I have diabetes. Um, They're not ashamed of using a medication for that. And the same is true um, with opioid use disorders. They can't, they are, it is a medical concern. You know, science really shows us that and medicine tells us that. It's a medical concern that can be treated uh, 
like other medical concerns. So going and seeking out mm-hmm. treatment, medical yeah. treatment, would that be your first step if you're concerned that you have a, a, a developed either dependence or an addiction to a substance? Your first step is to go back to your physician? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, your physician or to find a behavioral health provider. So you could reach out to um, your county mental health authority. Uh, there's actually, there are a lot of good websites online that can uh, take you through some questions and helping you find resources closest to you. So and know that there is hope for uh-huh. for recovery. Yeah. In, in the beginning, I don't want to end. We have just a few minutes left together, um, and I don't want to end on a down note. But we yeah. have been talking about the the danger, and mm-hmm. for just a minute, we started with the the fact that we have seven thousand Utahns mm-hmm. who are prescribed opioids every day, and the dangerous side is that we are also losing people to mm-hmm. opioid addiction, and many of those overdoses are accidental right. as well. Yeah, so um, around 300 a year in Utah, and they are accidental. So I think it's it would not be the case um, necessarily that people who are dying are, you know, have an addiction. Sometimes it's accidental um, that you That's have. That's how powerful the medication right, you is. You have a prescription opioid. Um, Maybe you take it with a drink and your respiratory system is compromised. Prescription opioids slow down your breathing. And so we do have a lot of accidental overdoses. So if you say about 300 a year, that's Mm -hmm. just about one a day. Yeah. And we're not that big of a state. We're not that big of a state. And we're actually eighth in the nation. So um, we're doing worse than some of our counterparts. All right. So we're starting now with an aggressive, I'll say aggressive. How about this? Mm -hmm. Assertive, caring education campaign that we all need to be aware of the dangers of opioid use uh, in our personal lives, in our family lives, Mm -hmm. in our society, in our community. But if we gather together, we're honest about this conversation and we speak out, act out and throw out, throw out. We can battle this together. Lisa Nichols with Interround Healthcare. Her position is Community Benefit Behavioral Health Director. I teased her before we got on mic. That's a big title. (laughs) It is a big title. (laughs) It is, but it's indicative of our community support and Intermountain Mm Health Care's commitment to our community health as well. Uh, right. That we want to make sure that the resources and the information is available to save lives mm-hmm. and to move ourselves to healthier living. For more information about safe opioid use, would you recommend? I know that you indicated mm-hmm. that usedasdirected.org is a great place mm-hmm. to find out where to throw out uh, extra yeah. opioids. Where else should we Use, go? Usedasdirected.org is great. Um, we also have a speakers bureau, so we're happy to come out and speak to groups. Uh, you can reach it at speakers at imail.org. The Utah Department of Health has a great website. So there are a lot of places that you can get more information. All right. And we should all do that as well. Lisa, thank you so much for taking time and joining us on this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. Thank you. Thank you for your time.